coming to you from a cozy little condo high atop old Fort Ward, Atlanta. Welcome, Welcome to The Ron Show on America One Radio. Here's your host, Ron Roberts. And a happy Juneteenth. It is Monday, June 19th, 2023. And I'm joined by my good friend and author, Donald Gilliard. Uh, Donald authoring the book, But for the Grace of God, which is available on paperback, and I'll get you the link in today's show notes at ronshowatl.com. That book, of course, the true story about a promising life gone off the rails, but reclaimed after receiving a vision that God had a purpose and a plan for him. Donald, how are you, my man? Happy Juneteenth. How did you guys celebrate today? I'm doing wonderful, Ron, enjoying this uh, uh, Juneteenth Monday. And I'm uh, really excited about uh, about celebrating uh, Juneteenth. In fact, I'm just coming with my wife and I, along with our grandbaby. Uh, we drove to Myrtle Beach to this black restaurant uh, uh, for uh, to have lunch there. All right. Way to go. So I wanted to talk to you in particular because I, I know you're something of a walking historian, an encyclopedia uh, on, on a lot of things, especially when it comes to black culture and Southern black culture, South Carolina, Georgia in particular. And uh, I know Juneteenth is something near and dear to your heart. In fact, I got a text from one of our good friends. Uh, you and I both are, are great friends with uh, Professor Mal Hyman from Coker University, who reached out to me yeah. and said, uh, you know, would you want to go down and speak, uh, you know, for, for Juneteenth? Donald, you know, was looking around. And I said, well, don't, don't really know that a, a white guy from Georgia belongs in Georgetown, South Carolina, talking about Juneteenth. But uh, my experience with Juneteenth is so totally different than yours. And I wanted to have you on just to talk about uh, the, the disparities here. Because for one... I'm a 49-year-old white guy who only in recent years even understood the importance of Juneteenth and why it had been so celebrated in African-American culture all this time. And you, of course, being a black man, have had Juneteenth be on your calendar every year of your existence. So I kind of want to, you know, first of all, let's point out that disparity. There's a lot of folks who still today, and you can see it all over social media, uh, wondering, you know, why we even have a Juneteenth. There are, you know, of course, the, the predictable folks on the right who complain about, well, we already have an Independence Day. Why, why do we have to have this Independence Day? Do you see what I'm saying? And then on your side, again, this is something that has been a momentous day on your calendar for every year you've been alive. Yes. Let me, and let, let me say this too, Ron. Um, and for those on the right who say you already have an Independence Day, this is what we know. We know that in 1776, when America celebrated its Independence Day, right. uh, there were still slaves in the field. Mm-hmm. So they were not celebrating America's independence. They simply were not. And, um, and so um, it is our position that uh, when Abraham Lincoln signed the Emancipation Proclamation freeing the slave in January of 1863, it was only June 19, 1865, that the slaves in Texas found out that they were actually free. And the reason that was, was because um, General, I think his name was General Gordon Granger, um, 
uh, came down to Texas and he was blocked because the slave owners did not want the slaves to know that they were free mm -hmm. because then they would, they would desert fields and uh, the fields and, 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 and they won't be able to get their free labor. Yep. And, and so they did everything to block the general from bringing the proclamation from the president of the United States. At that time, they came down on a horse. Mm-hmm. Bringing, bringing that information. And so when he finally got through um, to serve notice, and I think it was general order number three or six, um, to serve notice that, uh, that they were free. Um, the slaves in Texas, uh, of course, uh, rejoiced and hollowed and celebrated and, and jumped for joy. And so even though there were some African-Americans that were free since 1863. Um, if, if, if all is not free, I mean, if one is not free, all is not free. And so uh, we look at that as our real Independence Day um, when when all African Americans were, were deemed and considered free. When and, they, you know, and yeah. that's, that's why we celebrate it. And when you put it in that perspective, it literally is an Independence Day for descendants of African-American slaves at that time. Even then, yes. the Civil War actually ended two months before this date in 1865. And even, even then, two months after the fact, you had nefarious slave owners, not just in Texas, but throughout the South, who were, of course, not informing the enslaved and were doing their best to keep the word from getting to them. Run two and a half years later. Oh no, I, I understand yeah. the emancipation. No, I get that. The emancipation happened in eighteen sixty. I'm talking about like the end of the Civil War itself was April 9th. and then two months right. later, uh, two months at the end of the Civil War, obviously the emancipation would take effect even in Confederate states. But even then, you had, as you pointed out, slave owners who were doing their best to keep word from getting to the enslaved. Yes, you needed them to stay in them fields and work for free. Mm. Yeah. And um, in fact, um, Ron, we had a Juneteenth celebration on this Saturday and this past Saturday. And that's when Mal contacted me because I, I wanted a, 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 somebody white to do um, William Lloyd Garrison's famous speech. So you had whites back in that day that were abolitionists as well. Oh, of course. All people didn't support slavery. Of course. And William Lord Garrison um, was very passionate um, in his opposition to slavery. And um, But I was able to get a friend of mine named James Battle, an attorney in, in Myrtle Beach, um, to came to, that came down to Georgetown to do um, William Lord Garrison's speech. And of course, I myself... Uh, did Frederick Douglass's "What to the Slave" was the Fourth of July speech, mm. and, um, and which was a very powerful speech, as they invited um, Frederick Douglass to come on July Fourth um, to speak to them, and he gave it to him. He said, "The nerve of you to invite me on this day, your holiday." You know, mm. and um, yeah, so it was very powerful. So, talk to me about the way 
Juneteenth has been and continues to be celebrated. And I want to get a perspective from you, again, as someone who has known the importance of Juneteenth since you were a child, and, and how and how how you grew up celebrating it over the years. Well, uh, well, uh, you know, I didn't know about Juneteenth as a child. I found out about Juneteenth um, actually in nineteen ninety. Really? Um, yes, I found out in nineteen ninety, and um, uh, because they kept that out of the history books. Um, oh, yeah, that's true. They didn't teach us about that. Yep, you're right. But it was in nineteen ninety. Um, I was actually sentenced to federal prison, and um, and in in the prison environment, I met inmates there who were from Texas, mm-hmm. and um, and they started telling me about this great celebration they're having in Texas um, about Juneteenth and how they celebrate and all. I'm like, what the hell is that? Right. And so, and of course, I. Uh, you know, I started reading and 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 looking it up, and I'm like, "Oh man, I see what's going on." Mm-hmm. And um, and I actually uh, wrote the proposal, um, Ron, the Juneteenth uh, to be celebrated in every federal prison in America, and um, and and we did the proposal, um, explaining to the administration. Uh, that we thought as an African American, that um, that Juneteenth was our Independence Day, right? And that at the very least, we should be able to celebrate Juneteenth, just like Europeans celebrate the Fourth of July. Mm-hmm. And uh, and we're very successful in that. Um, and so we would get a special prison meal at that time. Uh, we would be able to have concerts on the yard and and that sort of thing. And of course, we always interspersed uh, cultural, uplifting uh, poetry and speeches and all, you know, with a positive impact on the African community mm-hmm. um, during that time. So we made it a very festive um, occasion, and 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 it was celebrated very very well. Guys were really excited about it. And um, and so that's been done. Let me see. I got out ten, probably since twenty oh five, twenty oh six. Okay. You know, we were able to celebrate it, and um, so the rest of America, you all just just getting on board now. <laughs> well, you're, you're you're right. You're right. Now that it's a you know federally recognized holiday, uh, President Joe Biden. Uh, you know, ma- making that uh, into existence in 2021, surprisingly, yes. Barack Hussein Obama did not. Uh, I would imagine the predictable uh, response to that, you know, from the right would have been a- about him you know, trying to make something racially motivated again. You know, that, that tended to be the case anytime he'd speak on anything with regard to race. We're with Donald Gilliard, uh, author and historian, activist, and a uh, good friend of mine as well. We've got to put that on your LinkedIn too. <laughs> but uh, uh, I, I was, uh, the first time I heard about Juneteenth, honestly, it's, it's only you mentioned Texas because the first time I'd ever heard about Juneteenth myself, and you're right, it's not in our history textbooks, was when I lived in central Louisiana. I was working in radio at the time in the early 2000s, 
And central, you know, where I lived in central Louisiana was like two hours from the Texas line. So there were a lot of Texas and Louisiana traditions that I became privy to that I didn't know about before. And one of the radio stations that the company I worked for owned, uh, two of them actually, were, uh, uh, you know, an, an urban hip hop station and an urban adult contemporary station. And so, you know, when mid-June would roll around, they had all these parties and celebrations going on. And that's the first time I'd even ever heard of the term Juneteenth. And I'm like, what is this? It sounded like an excuse to have a party. Not a bad excuse. You know, it's a, it's, hey, if it's, if it's a, if it's a day in the middle of June to have a cookout, then let's go have a cookout. I didn't know the, (laughs) the relevance or significance of it, you know? And I, I, it's like you said, it's, it's one of those things that, um, first of all, I'm surprised that you didn't actually celebrate it until well into your adult years either. But as you mentioned, it wasn't in our textbooks for us to know to celebrate it in the first place. Listen, I've got to take a quick break, but I do want to come back and let's pick up on that and some of the other things that are missing in our history textbooks as well. As we talk about Juneteenth, I'm with Donald Gilliard, and you're listening to The Ron Show on the America One Radio app or wherever you podcast. Welcome back to The Ron Show for Monday, June 19th. It is Juneteenth, obviously. Back with Donald Gilliard, author, historian, activist, good friend of mine as well, back from South Carolina, and uh, he's uh, driving home as we speak uh, coming from celebrating Juneteenth in nearby Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. And uh, what, what restaurant did you say you guys went to? I heard you went to a restaurant for for lunch to commemorate. Yeah, we went to Big Mike's. Oh, we Big Mike's has been around forever. I miss Big Mike's. Oh. Yeah, we went to Big Mike's. Ah, oh, I miss Big Mike's. Mm. <laughs> I know you do. <laughs> oh, no, my mouth's watering just thinking about it, actually. Man, I, I never could get pork chops as good as the pork chops at Big Mike's when they had them. Yeah, I had to fry a chicken. I don't blame and you. It was something good. <laughs> I don't blame you. I don't blame you. So we were talking before we went to break. I had to take a quick break. Uh, we were talking real quick about how there were there were no mention of Juneteenth in the history textbooks. And while part of me says, "Well, we're not in school in mid June, so we wouldn't know to celebrate it because it's not on the scholastic calendar." It's just not a date that we even remember. July Fourth isn't either, but we all remember. We were taught in school what July 4th meant, but we weren't taught at all the date June 19th. Right. Right, Ron. You're, you're, you're absolutely right again. Um, and, and, and these are the people as it relates to the critical race theory and, and this great divide that's going on in America right now. They would prefer that... Um, that, uh, that 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 Juneteenth is something that's a figment of our imagination, and and it's not important. But um, when you look back in the history in America, um, every issue as it relates to the Europeans are important. They go all the way back to England mm-hmm. and, uh, and celebrate, and um, you know, so it, it, it's it's a work in progress, uh, Ron. And 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 I, when I think about the work that you do um, on your podcast, because I know Ron Roberts, so you know to know that you are in Georgia doing the reaching out that you do, touching the people that you do, it lets me know that there's hope. There's hope left. You make a you make a valid point about all of the things that we are taught in even just American history courses about the things that draw way back into European culture. Uh, you know, why, why did we know about the Magna Carta? 
You know, why did we why did we know about the historical context of the monarchy at the time prior to the U.S. being settled? Uh, why did we know about Christopher Columbus and you know the you know the the the, the three boats that he used uh, from Spain and that as as it pertains to the United States and yet here we have an example where we have a date on our calendar that is impactful to a large portion of our country and should be celebrated by our entire country. I mean, if you are on a boat that capsizes and everyone has been picked up by the Coast Guard except for the last person, you don't celebrate until the last person is on the boat, right? That should be a celebration by everyone on the boat. That's right. That's right. (sighs) That's right. So even though we were um, considered free here mm. in in South Carolina or in North Carolina. Um, my brothers were still slaves in Texas, mm. and um, yeah, and so that's 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 our Independence Day, and even my little grandbaby, oh, she's she adorable. knows about Juneteenth. Aubrey, oh my gosh, she's so adorable. To Ron about Juneteenth, so cute. Tell her, Ron. Aubrey? <laughs> She's shy. I get but, it. Uh, she can be a history lesson on Juicy. <laughs> She's adorable. I see your pictures on Facebook all the time. I certainly enjoy that. Well, I'm glad you guys were able to gather and enjoy Juneteenth, and, and I'm and I'm super thrilled that uh, I know I can count on you to provide some historical uh, reference to the uh, commemoration, and that you're there in coastal South Carolina to make sure that uh, Georgetown and Horry counties uh, are, 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 are honoring this date uh, with the significance that it, it warrants. Um, talk to me about yeah, what it was uh, like. We had to fight. Yeah. Right. We had to yeah. fight for this Juneteenth parade we had Saturday uh-huh. here. Um, the city of um, Georgetown, South Carolina, which I live, uh-huh. um, told the committee, the historical African-American committee, that it would be a thousand dollars to have to parade. Last year they paid a hundred dollars. This year they said they need extra officers for what? And so the black fraternity is the divine nine. I uh, stepped in. I called them up, and they agreed and stepped in, and they paid the thousand dollars. They said we're not. This is going to go. We're not going to let money be an issue, and we'll just pay. Yeah, but even now. Even after Biden signed it as a national holiday yeah. in 2021, other local municipalities, if they could uh, put rain on the fire, they will do it. So and, and uh, it's still a fight. It's still stunning, too, because Georgetown is a majority black city in South Carolina. Yeah, yeah, slightly right now. It's yeah. very close now. Yeah. Uh, well, of gentrification. Yes. Well, you know, in, in closing, I want you to tell me what it was, uh, what it was like to see President Biden make this a national holiday in 2021. Do you remember what, what you, when you when you found out and how you felt when you found out? Yeah, uh, 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 Ron, I, I just I never thought it would happen. I just didn't, and um, you know, um, I was surprised, um, elated. And um, it really brought a lot of a lot of tears, Ron, because you know things, you know this could really happen. And um, 
you know, and I think if you look back at his numbers when he won the election, it was a tremendous outpouring from the African-American community, especially in your state of Georgia. Yeah. Um, that was critical to his victory. And um, and had he not had he lost, you know, I, I, I promise you. Uh, Donald Trump would not have signed. Uh, <laughs> uh, 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 Juneteenth would not have been a national holiday. Probably not. Probably not. <laughs> but that's a. <laughs> I think that's a pretty safe bet guess. But you you just never know. You you just never know. All right. Well, listen. Safe travels yeah. to you, and uh, safe travels to you and your wife, Miss Ronnie, and your little grandbaby, Miss Aubrey, and uh, happy Juneteenth to you and your loved ones. Thank you, man, and enjoy Juneteenth. Same. Bye-bye. It's Donald Gailyard, my good buddy, noted historian, civil rights activist, and author of the book, But for the Grace of God. Again, I'll have that uh, in the show notes for you if you'd like to purchase that. That's a fantastic book. It talks about his travails as a black man who was once incarcerated and how he rebounded. More Ron Show after this on the America One Radio app, AmericaOneRadio.com, or wherever you podcast. This is The Ron Show on America One Radio. Welcome back to The Ron Show for Monday, June 19th, Juneteenth, 2023. As you heard my friend Donald Gilliard allude to earlier, it was a Frederick Douglass speech given in 1852 on July 5th where he was asked to speak about America's independence. Unironically, 11 years before slaves were emancipated and some 13 and a half years before the end of the Civil War. Actor and activist Ossie Davis recited that speech in 1966, and here it is. The meaning of July 4th for the Negro. The papers and placards say that I am to deliver a 4th of July oration. This certainly sounds large and out of the common way for me. It is true that I have often had the privilege to speak in this beautiful hall, and to address many who now honor me with their presence. But neither their familiar faces, nor the perfect gauge I think I have of Corinthian Hall, seems to free me from embarrassment. The fact is, ladies and gentlemen, the distance between this platform and the slave plantation from which I escaped is considerable and the difficulties to be overcome in getting from the latter to the former are by no means slight. That I am here today is, to me, a matter of astonishment as well as of gratitude. You will not, therefore, be surprised if in what I have to say I evince no elaborate preparation nor grace my speech with any high-sounding exordium. With little experience and with less learning, I have been able to throw my thoughts hastily and imperfectly together, and trusting to your patient and generous indulgence, I will proceed to lay them before you. This, for the purpose of this celebration, is the 4th of July. It is the birthday of your national independence and of your political freedom. This, to you, is what the Passover was to the emancipated people of God. 
It carries your minds back to the day and to the act of your great deliverance and to the signs and to the wonders associated with that act and that day. This celebration also marks the beginning of another year of your national life and reminds you that the Republic of America is now 76 years old. I am glad, fellow citizens, that your nation is so young. 76 years, though a good old age for a man, is but a mere speck in the life of a nation. Three score years and ten is the allotted time for individual men. But nations number their years by thousands. According to this fact, you are, even now, only in the beginning of your national career, still lingering in the period of childhood. I repeat, I am glad this is so. There is hope in the thought, and hope is much needed under the dark clouds which lower above the horizon. The eye of the reformer is met with angry flashes portending disastrous times. But his heart may well beat lighter at the thought that America is young and that she is still in the impressible stage of her existence. May he not hope that high lessons of wisdom, of justice, and of truth will yet give direction to her destiny. Were the nation older, the patriot's heart might be sadder and the reformer's brow heavier. Its future might be shrouded in gloom, and the hope of its prophets go out in sorrow. There is consolation in the thought that America is young. Great streams are not easily turned from channels worn deep in the course of ages. They may sometimes rise in quiet and stately majesty and inundate the land refreshing and fertilizing the earth with their mysterious properties. They may also rise in wrath and fury and bear away on their angry waves the accumulated wealth of years of toil and hardship. They, however, gradually flow back to the same old channel and flow on as serenely as ever. But while the river may not be turned aside, it may dry up and leave nothing behind but the withered branch and the unsightly rock to howl in the abyss-sweeping wind the sad tale of departed glory. As with rivers, so with nations. Fellow citizens, I am not wanting in respect for the fathers of this republic. The signers of the Declaration of Independence were brave men, they were great men, too, great enough to give frame to a great age. It does not often happen to a nation to raise at one time such a number of truly great men. The point from which I am compelled to view them is not certainly the most favorable. And yet, I cannot contemplate their great deeds with less than admiration. They were statesmen, patriots, and heroes, and for the good they did, and the principles they contended for, 
I will unite with you to honor their memory. They loved their country better than their own private interests. And though this is not the highest form of human excellence, all will concede that it is a rare virtue, and that when it is exhibited, it ought to command respect. He who will intelligently lay down his life for his country is a man whom it is not in human nature to despise. Your fathers stake their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor on the cause of their country. In their admiration of liberty, they lost sight of all other interest. They were peace men, but they preferred revolution to peaceful submission to bondage. They were quiet men, but they did not shrink from agitating against oppression. They showed forbearance, but they knew its limits. They believed in order, but not in the order of tyranny. With them, nothing was settled that was not right. With them, justice, liberty, and humanity were final, not slavery and oppression. You may well cherish the memory of such men. They were great in their day and generation. Their solid manhood stands out the more as we contrast it with these degenerate times. How circumspect, exact, and proportionate were all their movements. How unlike the politicians of an hour. Their statesmanship looked beyond the passing moment and stretched away in strength into the distant future. They seized upon eternal principles and set a glorious example in their defense. Mark them, fully appreciating the hardships to be encountered, firmly believing in the right of their cause, honorably inviting the scrutiny of an onlooking world, reverently appealing to heaven to attest their sincerity, soundly comprehending the solemn responsibility they were about to assume, wisely measuring the terrible odds against them, your fathers, the fathers of this republic, did most deliberately, under the inspiration of a glorious patriotism and with a sublime faith in the great principles of justice and freedom, lay deep the cornerstone of the national superstructure which has risen and still rises in grandeur around you. Of this fundamental work, this day is the anniversary. Our eyes are met with demonstrations of joyous enthusiasm. Banners and pennants wave exultingly on the breeze. The din of business, too, is hushed. Even Mammon seems to have quitted his grasp on this day. The ear-piercing fife and the stirring drum unite their accents with the ascending peal of a thousand church bells. Prayers are made, hymns are sung, and sermons are preached in honor of this day. While the quick martial tramp of a great and multitudinous nation, echoed back by all the hills, valleys, and mountains of a vast continent, bespeak the occasion one of thrilling and universal interest, a nation's jubilee. Fellow citizens, pardon me. Allow me to ask, why am I called upon to speak here today?
What have I or those I represent to do with your national independence? Are the great principles of political freedom and of national justice embodied in that Declaration of Independence extended to us? And am I, therefore, called upon to bring our humble offering to the national altar and to confess the benefits and express devout gratitude for the blessings resulting from your independence to us? Would to God, both for your sakes and ours, that an affirmative answer could be truthfully returned to these questions. Then would my task be light and my burden easy and delightful. For who is there so cold that a nation's sympathy could not warm him? Who so obdurate and dead to the claims of gratitude that would not thankfully acknowledge such priceless benefits? Who so stolid and selfish that would not give his voice to swell the hallelujahs of a nation's jubilee when the chains of servitude had been torn from his limbs? I am not that man. In a case like that, the dumb might eloquently speak and the lame man leap as an heart. But such is not the state of the case. I say it with a sad sense of disparity between us. I am not included within the pale of this glorious anniversary. Your high independence only reveals the immeasurable distance between us. The blessings in which you this day rejoice are not enjoyed in common. The rich inheritance of justice, liberty, prosperity, and independence bequeathed by your fathers, it's shared by you, not by me. The sunlight that brought light and healing to you has brought stripes and death to me. This 4th of July is yours, not mine. You may rejoice. I must mourn to drag a man in fetters into the grand illuminated temple of liberty and call upon him to join you in joyous anthems were inhuman mockery and sacrilegious irony. Do you mean, citizens, to mock me by asking me to speak today? If so, there is a parallel to your conduct. And let me warn you that it is dangerous to copy the examples of a nation whose crimes, towering up to heaven, were thrown down by the breath of the Almighty, bearing that nation in irrevocable ruin. I can today take up the plaintive lament of a peeled and woe-smitten people. By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down. Yea, we wept when we remembered Zion. We hanged our harps upon the willows in the midst thereof. For there, they that carried us away captive required of us a song, and they that wasted us required of us mirth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. How shall we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? If I forget thee, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget her cunning. 
If I do not remember thee, let my tongue cleave to the roof of my mouth. Fellow citizens, above your national tumultuous joy, I hear the mournful wail of millions whose chains, heavy and grievous yesterday, are today rendered more intolerable by the jubilee shouts that reach them. If I do forget, if I do not faithfully remember those bleeding children of sorrow this day, may my right hand forget her cunning and may my tongue cleave to the roof of my mouth. To forget them, to pass lightly over their wrongs, and to chime in with the popular theme would be treason most scandalous and shocking and would make me a reproach before God and the world. My subject, then, fellow citizens, is American slavery. I shall see this day and its popular characteristics from the slave's point of view. Standing there, identified with the American bondman, making his wrongs mine, I do not hesitate to declare with all my soul that the character and conduct of this nation never looked blacker to me than on the 4th of July. Whether returned to the declarations of the past or to the professions of the present, the conduct of the nation seems equally hideous and revolting. America is false to the past, false to the present, and solemnly binds herself to be false to the future. Standing with God and the crushed and bleeding slave on this occasion, I will, in the name of humanity, which is outraged, in the name of liberty, which is fettered, in the name of the Constitution and the Bible, which are disregarded and trampled upon, dare to call in question and to denounce, with all the emphasis I can command, everything that serves to perpetuate slavery, the great sin and shame of America. I will not equivocate. I will not excuse. I will use the severest language I can command. And yet not one word shall escape me that any man whose judgment is not blinded by prejudice, or who is not at heart a slaveholder, shall not confess to be right and just. But I fancy I hear someone of my audience say, it is just in this circumstance that you and your brother abolitionists fail to make a favorable impression on the public mind. Would you argue more and denounce less would you persuade more and rebuke less, your cause would be much more likely to succeed. But I submit, where all is plain, there is nothing to be argued. What point in the anti-slavery creed would you have me argue? On what branch of the subject do the people of this country need light? Must I undertake to prove that the slave is a man? That point is conceded already. Nobody doubts it. The slaveholders themselves acknowledge it in the enactment of laws of their government. They acknowledge it when they punish disobedience on the part of the slave. There are 72 crimes in the state of Virginia which, if committed by a black man, no matter how ignorant he be, subject him to the punishment of death, while only two of the same crimes will subject a white man to the like punishment. What is this? but the acknowledgement that the slave is a moral, intellectual, and responsible being. The manhood of the slave is conceded. It is admitted in the fact that Southern statute books are covered with enactments forbidding, under severe fines and penalties,
the teaching of the slave to read or to write. When you can point to any such laws and reference to the beasts of the field, then I may consent to argue the manhood of the slave. When the dogs in your street, when the fowls of the air, when the cattle on your hills, when the fish of the sea and the reptiles that crawl shall be unable to distinguish the slave from a brute, then will I argue with you that the slave is a man. For the present, it is enough to affirm the equal manhood of the Negro race. Is it not astonishing that while we are plowing, planting, and reaping, using all kinds of mechanical tools, erecting houses, constructing bridges, building ships, working in metals of brass, iron, copper, silver, and gold, that while we are reading, writing, and ciphering, acting as clerks, merchants, and secretaries, having among us lawyers, doctors, ministers, poets, authors, editors, artists, and teachers, that while we are engaged in all manner of enterprises common to other men, digging gold in California, capturing the whale in the Pacific, feeding sheep and cattle on the hillside, living, moving, acting, thinking, planning, living in families as husbands, wives, and children, and above all, confessing and worshiping the Christian's God and looking hopefully for life and immortality beyond the grave, we are called upon to prove that we are men. Would you have me argue that man is entitled to liberty, that he is the rightful owner of his own body? You have already declared it. Must I argue the wrongfulness of slavery? Is that a question for Republicans? Is it to be settled by the rules of logic and argumentation as a matter beset with great difficulty involving a doubtful application of the principle of justice hard to be understood? How should I look today in the presence of Americans dividing and subdividing a discourse to show that men have a natural right to freedom speaking of it relatively and positively, negatively and affirmatively. To do so would be to make myself ridiculous and to offer an insult to your understanding. There is not a man beneath the canopy of heaven that does not know that slavery is wrong for him. What? Am I to argue that it is wrong to make men brutes, to rob them of their liberty, to work them without wages, to keep them ignorant of their relations to their fellow men, to beat them with sticks, to flay their flesh with a lash, to load their limbs with irons, to hunt them with dogs, to sell them at auction, to sunder their families, to knock out their teeth, to burn their flesh, to starve them into obedience and submission to their masters. Must I argue that a system thus marked with blood and stained with pollution is wrong? No, I will not. I have better employment for my time and strength than such arguments would imply. What then remains to be argued? Is it that slavery is not divine? That God did not establish it? That our doctors of divinity are mistaken? There is blasphemy in the thought. That which is inhuman cannot be divine. Who can reason on such a proposition? They that can may, I cannot. The time for such argument is past. At a time like this, scorching irony, not convincing argument is needed. Oh, had I the ability and could reach the nation's ear, I would today pour out a fiery stream of biting ridicule 
blasting reproach, withering sarcasm, and stern rebuke. For it is not light that is needed, but fire. It is not the gentle shower, but thunder. We need the storm, the whirlwind, and the earthquake. The feeling of the nation must be quickened. The conscience of the nation must be roused. The propriety of the nation must be startled. The hypocrisy of the nation must be exposed. And its crimes against God and man must be proclaimed and denounced. And that is, in large part, the speech given by one Frederick Douglass, July 5th, 1852, in his home city of Rochester, New York, as they celebrated a nation's independence, to him not unironically, more than 11 years before the Emancipation Proclamation would free people of color in those United States, and more than 13 years before the end of the Civil War. You've been listening to a recitation of that speech by Frederick Douglass with the vocals of actor and activist Ossie Davis in 1966. Thank you for listening to The Ron Show, wherever you podcast. Back tomorrow, 5 to 6 p.m. on the America One Radio app or americaoneradio.com. Past episodes, podcast links, all available at ronshowatl.com. See you tomorrow.